Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode. My guest today is Jason Kale. Many of you have likely seen Jason in all of the classic bouldering films like The Dosage Movies and Best of the West and many others. I've watched all of those films many times myself, so this was a really fun conversation for me, a chance to dive into the mind of such an interesting human being. And I'll give a quick bio for those who are not familiar with Jason. Jason Kale is a professional rock climber known for his highball bouldering ascents. Jason made a name for himself in the early 2000s and pushed standards in highball bouldering to new heights with the first ascent of Evolution in Bishop, California. That was in 2002. He was also the first person to boulder the fly, originally a 14D route in Rumney, New Hampshire. And that was a really big deal at the time because it was one of the two hardest routes in America. That was in 2003 that he did that. And Jason is also really known for his first ascents. He has continued to seek out and establish new boulders throughout his entire career. And he continues to do that in his home area of Waco Tanks and has most recently been using cargo nets to protect some of his newest climbs that were previously thought to be unclimbable because of the danger, bad landings, etc. And we talked about all of those things. It was fascinating, and we talked about his artistic expression and all the different haircuts he's had over the years and all sorts of good stories from the past, and it was super fun. So without further ado, please enjoy the one and only Jason Kale. I want to start off by actually asking you about karate. I've followed your climbing yeah. for a long time, and I have all this curiosity around you as a climber and as an artist. And, you know, th there's anyone who's watched all the dosage movies like I have, you know, countless times. They remember you doing all these climbs. They remember all, you know, the lineage of these different haircuts that you've had over the years. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, this guy's face is on his own chalk bag. Like, what's up with that? That's really interesting. But one of the things that's always stood out to me the most is just this aggression, this like animal sort of emotion and uh, passion and an expression that you bring to the actual act of climbing. Like you're, you're a very vocal climber. Mm -hmm. you know, you're one of those people where I'm like, man, if I was making that kind of a noise on a move, I would definitely either stick that move or I, I certainly wouldn't do the next move if I, if I was that uh -huh. at my limit, but you seem to yeah. be able to just battle your way up these climbs. And, uh, talking to you recently, I, I learned for the first time that a lot of that vocal component and the screaming and that sort of stuff comes back to karate. So I would love to hear about sure. your, yeah, about your early days in karate and where that, uh, or how that started. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of transitioned from karate into climbing, I guess. Um, uh, when I was in middle school, high school, I was taking karate and always been interested in, you know, that aspect of like, I don't know, a sport where you're not like on a team, you know, it's kind of more just you figuring out yourself, how yourself works and all that. And uh, yeah, I was in karate for a long time. And then 
eventually I found climbing and I, I really brought a lot of that, you know, with me to climbing, not only with, you know, like yelling or whatever, but also like I was, you know, very like using my legs a lot, you know, and that definitely stemmed from karate where, you know, you're always kicking, you're always reaching, you're always, you know, getting your legs up high. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely like brought that to climbing. I was always doing, you know, type of moves where, you know, if I couldn't reach the hold with my hand, I would like throw my foot up above my head, you know, mm. I mean, pretty, pretty standard nowadays in like the roof climbing scene or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, just that whole like focus, you know, that you learn in karate or any type of martial art, um, really, you know, went well with climbing and, uh, you know, being vocal or, or whatever, you know, I think for me, it always gave me like that extra edge, you know, like, you know, you're, you're slipping off the edge of the cliff, you know, and you're going to die. And like, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? You know, uh, you know, s- scream your heart out and uh, claw your way up this thing. But yeah, I, I think that you know, I was mentioning to you before that, you know, there's, they say there's like a certain percentage more of power you can get from, mm. you know, yelling or screaming. Um, yeah. And I think it just gives you that little extra edge. Um, and also being, you know, kind of comfortable with yourself to be able to do that. You know, a lot of people are very quiet and, you know, there's no reason for them to yell ever. So, you know, when they're climbing, you know, why would they start screaming? (laughs) Uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting thought, you know, just being, you know, okay with being that vocal and like, just, you know, letting it out. Yeah, it feels vulnerable and it feels like, you know, you're you're making a scene or you're trying to draw attention to yourself. There's all these weird connotations mm-hmm. that, that I think about, you know, if, if I'm, I have to kind of psych myself up to make noise on yeah. and routes sometimes. And it is something that you're I've, out there. I've had to practice. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're out there and the bros are out there and they're all like grunting and stuff. And that's <laughs> kind of a turnoff, you know, <laughs> you're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to go over there. Like those guys are like getting into something but uh yeah it's like i don't know it's 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 very focused and i think a lot of times you know when you have nothing left there's nothing left to give um you know you push your body to that point you know like what else can you do like you can you know give that like extra grunt or extra scream and i think that definitely helps you push over the edge Mm. How intentional or how targeted is is that? You know, do you go into a boulder problem saving that for a specific move or does it just come out of you? Do you just let it come out and kind of surrender to it? How do you think about that? Definitely not planned. And, you know, I've even like just blurted out some of the weirdest stuff, you know, <laughs> like just like a word that doesn't exist, you know, and uh you know, you come down from the problem, people are kind of laughing about it or whatever. Do you um, have an example yeah. of that? Uh, yeah, there was this, there was this climb in uh, Waco that I did recently, this crazy arch thing that it's like on the edge of a cliff and uh, I had, you know, I had to tie myself up to a, off to a rope as like a plan B in case I like swung I remember off the this. cliff. You had like yeah, a friend there, you had a harness on with a rope attached he, to you, like a leash. Well, no, no. No, no, none of that. Uh, oh, okay. No harness. Okay. No harness. Uh, <laughs> I just tied the rope around my waist. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, I tied the other end off to this like natural arch in the rock. 
And okay. uh, uh, I dragged Matt Wilder up there um, and his brother. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, I just, just want you to witness this. You know, like I, I've been working on it. I want to go up there and do it. And uh, there's really no spotting since it's so, so close to the edge. And uh, yeah, I like came off the lip and my feet cut and I, I screamed something like Flaka or whatever, you know, it was like almost on the verge of being the F word. And then at the last second, it wasn't. And uh, <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, were, they just were laughing afterwards when I came down and they're like, what did you say? I'm like, yeah, I don't even remember. Just like, Flaka, man. <laughs> Whatever comes out natural, you know, it's yeah. like, and a lot of times I don't, I feel like I'm being really quiet and then, you know, I'll watch the video and I'm like, like kind of like grunting and, and, you know, breathing and just get kind of like releasing all that energy. Hmm. Well, it's inspiring, man. I definitely watch you climb and I'm like, man, every single time I do watch one of your videos, I'm like, man. I need to try a little harder. Like there's, there's a little yeah. more there that I'm not tapping into just based on what I'm hearing come out of this guy when he, when he works on these climbs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. It's super inspiring. Nice. It's Thank cool you. to watch. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> Am I totally misremembering uh, the rope thing? I, I can swear. I remember a video that's similar to what you just described, but your partner or buddy was like holding the rope ready to pull you back in. Am I making that up? It may be the same video, but, uh, well, there, there's that video, but then there was another video where my, my spotter was on repel. Okay. Basically. Cause the landing was so, so bad. And, uh, my spotter was on repel for the sand. So they didn't, you know, get knocked down this like, Runnel and when I, while I was working it, I was wearing a harness and a grigri, and I had this like trail of pads, and my spotter was pulling up the slack as I went on the okay. grigri, and then if I fell, you know, I wouldn't fall into the air; I would just fall and slam into like this wall of pads or whatever. So that that may be the one that you're thinking <laughs> that, about. That sounds right. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have to watch that again. Yeah. I'll find that and I'll I'll put it in the show notes for people. Yeah, I think that was Count to Six and Die in Waco, and uh, one of my headier first ascents because of the how bad the landing was, but like just amazing piece of rock, like that. Just you know, you see it and you're like, oh wow, like that has to be climbed. Hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of people have that thought, but then you're the actual, you're the person that actually goes up and, and does it <laughs> with a lot of these things. And you're certainly known for that. You know, you have this trail behind you over the years of all these really bold kind of out there cutting edge highball and difficult climbs. And, you know, I watch all the climbing films and I, I remember in Real Rock a few years ago, there was that segment, uh, I think it was called High and Mighty. And ultimately they featured Daniel Woods making the first ascent of the process and Bishop his, you know, V16 highball. And they highlighted your ascent of evolution in that film. And there was an interview with you accompanying that. And you said something really interesting. And I want to kind of use this as a launching off point here. But, you know, you said you came from a small town in Maryland and you wanted to reinvent yourself and make a name for yourself. And, you know, anyone that's watched your climbing and seen your creativity and, you know, 
the things you wear and the way you do your hair and stuff, like you've definitely done that. But it made me really curious. I'd, I'd love to go back to that small town in Maryland and simply hear you describe it. Like, I'd love to hear where you came from. Um, okay. Well, it's called Jarrettsville and uh, kind of, you know, farm area. Um, I was lucky enough to have a small climbing area that was like 10 minutes from my parents' house. So I would, I would go there a lot after school and, uh, but yeah, just, you know, you, you know, you'd see stuff in the climbing magazines or, you know, you'd get the VHS back then you'd get the VHS movies of, you know, masters of stone or, or whatever. And it just seemed like there was this like whole world out there. And, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do in, uh, these small towns with little climbing, but yeah, I was just obsessed with it. Um, I started climbing trees even before I got into climbing. My father built me like this 10 foot vert wall with like, you know, just a flat top to practice mantling before I even knew what (laughs) mantling was, you know, it was more, it was more of a, you know, kind of a military type, you know, like, Mm. oh, let's get over the, let's get over the wall. You know, you have to run and jump, grab the top and throw yourself over, um, so that was some of my first experiences. And then I started like climbing the trees and I started uh, making my own wooden holds. Like basically soon as soon as I got into climbing, I was making holds. Uh, huh. So this was like 92 or 93 or something like that. And uh, yeah, I would just, you know, nail these wooden holds to trees. Sometimes like, I don't know, 40, 40 feet up or so. And then I would climb up and I would protect myself with a static line and a prussic. So I would just like slide the prussic up as I went up the tree. And I even like created this bulge over top, at like halfway up at some point. But uh, I was like, seemed like I was getting sketchy. Like, <laughs> and like, I would find these, like, uh, I, I would even use like um, clothesline and like just tie a bunch of clothesline around a limb and put like a carabiner from the oh, um, man. hardware store and like repel <laughs> down things. And I could, I'd still go into my parents' woods and see like some clothesline like 60 foot up in some tree that I like stemmed up just to like repel down it, you know? Um, <laughs> so I, I was getting sketchy. And then uh, my mother was like, yeah, you need to take some classes. Luckily enough, there was a gym in Baltimore at the time called Clipper City Rock Gym. Um, which eventually burned to the ground. And that's kind of another, another sad story. But um, uh, I also built a home wall and uh, I had this like super ghetto home wall in my parents' basement. And the room above this room was a sunken living room. So the basement room was only like six foot tall max. Hmm. So there wasn't a lot of like, you know, upward movement I was doing, but uh ended up covering the entire ceiling in climbing holds and a lot of a lot of stuff I actually drilled out myself from real rocks that mm. I found at different places so I think that also kind of kickstarted my love for roof climbing you know which eventually landed me in Waco you know like so much in Waco is steep or roof climbing and that yeah also you know developed my toe hooking which is like my go-to move actually uh i toe hook everything but um 
yeah, just climbing on this little ghetto wall in my parents' basement, totally like, you know, started all that. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. What did your parents think of it? Were they supportive? Were they just like putting up with you because you were going to climb something anyway, so they may as well keep it as safe as possible? Um, they were, they were supportive. I'm sure my father thought I was going to kill myself or something, you know, <laughs> accidentally. Right. And uh, my my mother was super supportive. She actually would like travel with me to like comps and stuff. They would like support me as far as like paying for me my entry to comps and stuff like that. So they they were really supportive, you know. Um, I think they you know saw I had a passion for it. Um, so yeah, they, they were they were awesome. And I was surprised to learn that your start was, I mean, you know, aside from climbing trees and rappelling and climbing in your basement, uh, you really got your start in sport climbing and even in competition climbing. I don't think I knew that about you before we talked the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And even before that, it was like, you know, trad climbing, multi-pitch climbing. That was like the first phase. And then we were like, oh, the sport climbing, you know, first time at Clip Bolts was in North Carolina. And I was like, wow, this is like so bizarre, you know, like there's just like an anchor in the middle of this blank wall. <laughs> um, I, I remember that being like, oh, wow, this is like, you know, really awesome. Um, yeah. And then I, you know, I got the sport climbing bug and traveled a lot for sport climbing, uh, went to rifle every summer. Um mm. Yeah, and, and back then the comps they they were all sport climbing comps. You know, it was hard to find a bouldering comp. Maybe there'd be like a bouldering portion of the comp or something like that. But yeah, uh, yeah, just got into sport climbing, and that was kind of all I wanted to do. And that was kind of really before bouldering became a thing. You know, like you know, the late '90s, like bouldering still really wasn't a thing. And was there a moment, I remember you saying that, you know, there was a specific trip, maybe your first time living on the road where things really shifted for you as far as what you realized you were. I I remember you saying that at first you were actually very grade driven and uh, you really wanted to accomplish the next grade. And then striking out on the road, there was this shift that happened where you you started to learn what it was that truly inspired you and, and resonated with you. Did bouldering come in at that point or were you still uh, sport climbing? Can you tell me about that first trip? Um, no, definitely bouldering because I don't think I could have found it in sport climbing. And I don't know if it's even possible now for me to like, I don't know. I, I mean, I go sport climbing from time to time, but like I don't enjoy it as much as I do bouldering. And probably that was when I did that first ascent of evolution. Um Cause I was kind of, you know, still, I mean, I wasn't like driven to find first ascents or anything like that. I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to go to Bishop and, and do first ascents. You know, I just like, Oh, I want to go to Bishop cause it's amazing. Um, and then I came across this line, which was, I think at the time called the Sharma problem because he went up to the lip and it was a hang and drop. And it was like the first time where I was like, okay, like I want to try this because it's awesome. But like, I couldn't just try it and hang from the lip. Like I just wanted to figure out a way to like complete it, like do the whole thing. So that was like the ultimate like driving force to want to do it. And I mean, otherwise it would be kind of a waste of time to try, you know, for me, I was like, okay, like, like this is like such a worthy climb. It needs to be like done, like, you know, bottom to top, like a real boulder problem. So, and it was on such a big scale 
And for that time, you know, people were definitely highballing, like, like everywhere people were highballing for sure. But it wasn't being done at that level where you're falling, you know, mm. repeatedly at that height, you know, like highballing was like, oh, okay, like, you know, we're going to do it and it's not so bad. Like, so I think that was also kind of a, a turning point too, as far as, okay, like higher, harder, like, you know, there's not much room for error. Um, yeah. And that was just kind of like the starting point. Um, Cause everything after that, I was like, you know, like it's all about the beauty. Yeah. That, I want to dig into that. I mean, was any of it motivated by this desire to, you know, as you said in that film, reinvent yourself and make a name for yourself. Was that still at play or was it just the aesthetics of these lines? Uh, no, it actually, you know, came into play because of that. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And it was weird because before that I, you know, I wasn't like, you know, that wasn't my thing highballing or whatever, but I started to go to places and they're like, Oh, Jason Kale's here. Like, Oh, let me show you this highball or like, let me show you this. And like, I'm just like, I just want to climb, <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm not here to like do your highballs or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it almost like forced me into that, you know, arena of climbing. Um, oh, funny. but I definitely was on like on a mission after that. Cause, uh, um, after that I went to Yosemite and I did the first, you know, ascent or first boulder ascent of after midnight, uh, which is, it starts on midnight lightning and goes to the left. And then after that we headed to St. George and I wanted to do the first boulder ascent of the present. And my girlfriend ended up breaking her ankle, spraining her ankle on midnight lightning. And so the present didn't work out. I like drug her up the, the hillside in a crash pad and uh, we, were, we were there for a couple days and we were like, okay, this, this is like kind of heinous. Um, so that, that was one, one that got away. Um, but yeah, that kind of like, you know, set me off on, uh, on this kind of highball quest. Um, and I guess the ne next major one after that was uh, the fly up in uh, Rumney, New Hampshire. Yeah, so that for people listening, that's like a, it's a, I guess it's a route, but it's really like a V14 or a 14D, but it's like two bolts long. Dave Graham put mm -hmm. it up, um, and you were the first one to boulder it. Was that, I mean, is that still even a boulder problem? I've heard people call it a solo. You, you know, you can protect the, the hardest part, I guess, with crash pads, but um, can you describe that one a little bit more for people? Um, I wouldn't call it a solo, personally. Um because it's totally totally protectable, but uh, yeah, I, I had I had heard about it, and uh, and at the time it was one of the hardest routes in the U.S. Um, I think it was that and you know Kryptonite mm. uh, from Tommy Caldwell, and those were like the two hardest routes, and you know one was crazy long and one was crazy short, um, and I remember seeing it and thinking, wow, this like you know this is a Boulder problem, like for me, like the stuff I was looking for. And the stuff I was trying, like, this was totally a boulder problem. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of became obsessed with it. I was like, I got to do this thing. I got to do it in, like, the best style. Um, and I yeah, kept going up there. Uh, for a while, I was living in Vermont. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was going to Middlebury College there. And so I was driving up there all the time. Um, that was the first time I met Matt Wilder, too, um, who eventually, you know, did the Waco Guidebook or whatever. But um, 
yeah, it was just like this goal that I had. I was just like, okay, I can't, I cannot stop until, you know, I, I send this thing. Um, yeah. And it had some long, interesting times up in there camping, staying at the Walmart, uh, <laughs> taking showers at the, the college, just like, <laughs> you know, just like doing it all to like get this climb done. <laughs> Is there a video of that one anywhere? No, this was like pre, this was like pre video. Yeah. Actually, like not everyone had a camera. <laughs> yeah. Not everyone had a camera and I don't know. It, it was just, wasn't the time of video, you know, like it was be more important that, you know, there was a photo in like hot flashes or something like mm. that. Um, and so I contacted this guy. I think I, I actually got a hold of like rock and ice or climbing magazine. And they're like, Oh, we have a photographer in the area this guy, Brian post. And he like came out the day I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try and send it this day. Uh, and he came out and got photos of the whole thing. You know, I can kind of splice together a sequence from the photos, but, uh, yeah, I was always bummed. That was like, it's like, wow. Yeah. Video is like so much, you know, more real and you can like relive the moment and no, it, it would have been awesome to, to get video of that. Yeah. Well, for people listening, uh, there's a really great video of Kevin Jorgensen bouldering that one as mm -hmm. well. Um, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll share that one for people. Yeah. Are there any others that, I mean, and this can, you can kind of take this whichever way you want. I know you spent a lot of time in the Southeast bouldering and um, you've climbed in a lot of areas. It seemed like every major climbing film that came out in that, you know, time frame, early 2000s you were in there, you know, whether you were the, the main person featured or not, it's like, okay, Jason just seems to be where all the action is all the time. Were there any other areas or specific boulders that really stand out as being um, really memorable or, or things you're really proud of or things that influenced you, maybe that led you towards, towards where you ended up in Waco? Anything that really stands out? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and it's not necessarily one problem, but like the time I spent in Joe's Valley, mm. um, because at that time I was living in Salt Lake and, you know, I was a sponsored climber. Um, that's kind of when I got my foot in the door for shaping holds for pusher uh, at the time. And, uh, you know, we were definitely focused on training and competitions like the whole PCA was going on then. Um, but that was kind of when I started going down to Joe's more. And at that time there definitely had been like, you know, several waves of development, but there was a ton of awesome stuff that was left to be done. Um, and so, yeah, I just, you know, maybe that was kind of w when the switch started happening where, you know, where I was like, Oh, I can get, you know, just as much pleasure out of, you know, finding first ascents of all, all grade really. Um, mm as I do training for the next big competition and, you know, the, the competitions, like they come and go, like no one really cares who won the last competition, you know, it's like, you know, who's, who's going to win the next one. So, uh, mm. it's very temporary. And I realized going down the Joe's and, you know, finding these amazing lines. Um, yeah, those, those really meant something. And that was more important to me at the time. Yeah, that makes sense. That's very cool. I want to ask you about your your self-expression and your artistic side. And 
you know, what, what you were like, what, what was Jason like as a kid? You know, what, what did you wear? Uh Did did, did that evolve as you moved out of the house or, uh, you know, like watching your films over the years and um, the way you present yourself in other people's films and just getting these glimpses. It's, it's like stuff out of a Tim Burton movie. It's just, it's just great. And I'm always like, just so curious, like, where did, what was this guy like? (laughs) Or when did this? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, do you do you think I was like that in high school? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, I was the opposite of that in high school. Like, oh. I, I like, yeah, I I was. I mean, one word to describe it: basic. And I was basic, <laughs> you know, for a reason. Like, I didn't want people to look at me at all. Like, you know, the crowd at high school, you know, the jocks or the farmers or like the metal shop crew or whatever, like I wasn't trying to impress any of these people and I didn't even want them to notice me. You know, I, you know, I wore just like basic clothes, white shirt, no logos, you know, like, you know, I definitely went through some weird phases that were just kind of like bizarre, but nothing was like, you know, stand out, you know, I think for a while there I wore a pocket protector just because I thought it was funny or whatever. (laughs) But, um, or, or, you know, you hang out with these weird kids who are like totally different, you know, that different crew of kids. Um, I definitely always sat at the weird table at lunch, you know, there's that weird table of all like these weird misfits, like, you know, they're just like, not really friends, but they all kind of hang out because they're just like the weirdest ones. Uh, I I definitely always sat at that table. Um, I just found that those people like were the most welcoming and the most genuine. And yeah, um, that was just kind of where I fit in. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, I I just kind of like skimmed through school. Like I didn't want to be there. Like I would come home every day and I would just go straight into the forest like after I got <laughs> home and just, you know, like totally like, re, you know, revive myself after like sitting in class all day. Hmm. Uh, I would never do any homework. I would save the homework for the ride to school on the bus or home or homeroom or whatever. Or I would do it. I was like a guidance counselor, like assistant or something. I would find any way to do my schoolwork in school. I wouldn't even like touch it when I got home. I just like wanted to be outside and uh, just running around and and doing whatever. So yeah, I was definitely a different person in high school. And then when I found climbing, that was kind of like, oh, wow, like this is something I can do. This is something that I can get some respect. You know, people are like, oh, you know, showing me some respect because I'm, you know, becoming a better climber or, you know, winning competitions or stuff like that. And then that was kind of like, my new audience um and then that was kind of where i started to experiment with like you know what i'm showing my audience yeah did i i'd love to ask i'm curious how i'm curious how that was received and uh what that was like getting your first sponsors did that come in after sponsorship or before sponsorship were were brands drawn to that or did you have to like you know negotiate that at all (laughs) Kind of, uh, I would say that came like the image came a little afterwards. You know, it's definitely like uh, focused on winning competitions. I was winning like all kind of competitions on the East Coast. But then I, I definitely remember this one competition where uh, it was in North Carolina. It was called Dixie Rock. And I was in the finals and I had this great 
great plan. You know, everyone could play their own music back then, which was awesome <laughs> for their climb. So it was kind of like, you know, you're almost, you know, choreographing like, you know, your, your performance. But, oh, that's uh, cool. so I, yeah, it was, it was interesting because everyone would play something different. Like one guy would play classical, you know, some guy would play rap or whatever. Um, but I came out and I had like cut my shirt and I had taped it up so you couldn't tell it was cut. And then like on the climb, as the song peaked, I just like ripped this shirt off. <laughs> like just, you know, just for performance value. Um, and just, just because I could. And uh, I just remember that there were some, some people there from like, I think it was like Waterstone Outdoors at the New or something. They're like, oh, you, you need to get sponsored. You know, you need to get sponsored. Like, and I was like, oh, okay, like that'd be awesome if you know any companies that would, you know, be interested. Um, uh, you know, hook me up. But that wasn't what I was doing because I wanted to get sponsored. You know, mm -hmm, I, I was mm -hmm. like kind of just, I was kind of just clowning all the time. <laughs> um, another competition in the same series. I was on my way to win the series and. Uh, the last competition, if I, if I didn't show up, this other guy, uh, his name's Sundev, um, he was going to win the series just because I was absent, you know? So I show up, but I'm in costume. I got this like fake mustache on and like glasses and I like <laughs> made my hair look like a mullet and I had like a baseball cap on, which I never wear a baseball cap. Um, and I made it through like two climbs before people were like, what's, what's up with this guy? Like, what's up? like, this guy just looked like a full on Gumby. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming that Sundev was like, oh, Jason didn't come. Like, I won, I won, I won the event or whatever. Uh, and then at some point I took the hat off and everyone was like, you know, whatever. <laughs> but just, I, I mean, I'm just looking for fun ways like that to like, always like just to trip people up or to make them think like, oh, what's going on? Like, um, yeah, it's just, it's just fun, you know? That is hilarious. <laughs> I love it. I love the fake mustache. Okay, I have to ask you, do you remember what your song was or what artist it was that you picked for that competition? The shirt one? Uh, yeah, I actually have I actually have it on VHS. The, the <laughs> um, but nice. I think it was, it was definitely Marilyn Manson and I think it was like the uh, Antichrist Superstar song. So it was like pretty aggressive, uh, <laughs> you know, for... For any time really but uh <laughs> um <laughs> yeah I, I i have that vhs um i'll definitely post it at some point it's like awesome. bad quality and it's like you know glitching the whole time um, <laughs> super yeah. grainy yeah yeah oh, that's great i'll find the song um for people that are interested and nice. then I want to ask also, if you were to do that again now, if you were to do a fun competition, just a fun local thing, and you were able to pick your own theme song to climb to, what would you pick now? Hmm. Probably the same song. <laughs> uh, nice. I don't know. It's Yeah, it's like something aggressive, something um angsty something heavy something heavy yeah i'd play like a lot of nine inch nails and stuff like that back then and um yeah just like dark and like heavy tool i, I played a lot of tool in a lot of my competitions <laughs> okay i would love for you to take me through the history of your hairstyles 
And uh, I was sure. curious about this when we when we started talking. You know, anyone that's watched all the films, like there was the long blonde hair, then the long dark hair that was shaved on the side, like the patchy, like bleached and black short hair. Mm-hmm. And then whatever, you know, the I don't know the name of your hairstyle now, but that one's been a staple for a while. But um, can you tell me about what your mother did for a living and how that started? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my mother was a beautician growing up um, and she actually had... Uh, her shop in the basement of her house. And so I was always kind of around it, you know, I always like saw people getting their hair dyed and all this stuff. And uh, in the same basement as the climbing wall. Yeah. Yeah. On the other side of the wall, like like (laughs) that, that was on in one side of the house and then literally on the other side of the wall. So I was probably in there like blaring like the, the death metal and there was probably some old lady getting like her snowball touched up. That Um, is fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, she really never let me do anything, you know, she was kind of like more conservative, like, no, like you shouldn't dye your hair, like whatever. She's like, when you, when you move out of the house, you can, you can dye your hair. So what I was your hairstyle back then? Was it just short? Uh, just, just, no, it was long. Like basically after high school, I kind of just started growing my hair. Um, it was long, dirty blonde. Um, I have some old footage of me in Waco in like 96 and my hair is like down to like the middle of my back. Um, But yeah, then it actually was from my mother because she got me this book for my birthday or for something, but it was this book of mullets. And this book had all these different crazy mullets and they weren't just like your average mullets, you know. Uh, There was this one and it was called The Offender. And it was this guy and he had long straight hair, but you know, the front half was shaved kind of like you'd see in like, you know, Kung Fu movies or whatever, but it was, it was the more redneck version of that, you know? (laughs) Um, And so that was, that was my original, original inspiration. Um, And then I had the long blonde hair and I was living in Salt Lake city with Obi carry on at the time we were both sponsored climbers and we were staying at Clark Shelk who owned cordless and revolution and all that stuff. And, uh, there was this barbershop down the street and it was like $5 cuts, you know, it's like written on like the side of the wall. So I was like, you know, this was, I think I had broken up with a serious girlfriend at that time. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and uh, I went to his barbershop. I think I asked him if I could get half off because, you know, I only wanted the front half cut. Um, <laughs> but they didn't do it. But then I did get that haircut. Um, and that was that was the first one. And then not not too long after that is when I dyed it black. And that was right on, you know, the whole evolution thing. And that was probably kind of like the peak of uh, just being, just being out there, being weird, like traveling with my friend, Mike Aldridge. And we were just like, he had a blue mohawk and like he'd wear these like weird chaps. And I had like this fur coat and this like, you know, (laughs) bad mullet haircut. And like, we were like getting some looks like, (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) Actually, I kind of like got assault, not assaulted, but like uh, I was walking down the street in Bishop one day and this is like, you know, early 2000 and 
this redneck did not like this look of mine. Mm. <laughs> and wow. uh, he, he like slammed on his brakes in his truck in the middle of the intersection, turned around and like flicked me off for what felt like five minutes. Whoa. And we're just like walking, we're just like walking down the street, you know, like minding our own business. And it just like, you know, pissed this guy off. And I was like, oh my God, like, should I leave? Like, should I, you know, fear for my life? Like that was the first time I felt like, being different, you know, wasn't a good thing. And, you know, hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, it was scary for sure. Super yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, have you, but go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to keep running through the haircuts. It's kind of please, a, a long story, please, but you can, please you can continue. jump in there anytime. <laughs> I was just going to ask if you felt that change. Do you feel like uh, the way people perceive you in different areas or just kind of bigger picture, uh, have people opened up? Are they more accepting? Are there are there certain areas that are still dicey at all? Um, sh- sure. Like you know, small towns you you go through, you definitely always get that vibe. You know, that kind of outsiders aren't welcome. Mm. Uh, but in general, I think overall, like people are more accepting of you know different things. I mean, everyone has tattoos nowadays. Like when I was young, only like prison inmates and sailors had tattoos. So, huh. <laughs> wow, like, that's so interesting. You know, yeah, it's like a, it's a different world out there, and like as far as dreads or anything like that, you know, like if you had dreads, it was like okay, the cops need to talk to this guy. He has the drugs, you know. <laughs> and uh, nowadays, like it's you know not so so hectic, but um, yeah. So after that, um, I ended up doing the dreads in the mullet hairstyle, um, which eventually you know became known as the dreaded Wudan mullet, which is kind of like, you know, the dreaded Kung Fu mullet. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of just jumped around. This is actually my third time with this haircut. I've, I've chopped it all off and, and, and grown it back three times. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's it. I associate it as your signature look, but then, you know, I, I go back and watch these videos. I just watched one actually of you doing uh, the seventh circle um, which I love, by the way, such a such Ooh. a great little film. And nice, I was like, nice. oh, I forgot about that one. Like the black and the bleached kind of patchy yeah. spotted, like short spiked hair. Like that it's was like yeah. the, yeah, the bleached blonde, but grown out mm-hmm. with like the black roots. Yeah, I think that was, yeah, right. At, I guess right after I had shaved the dreads off. But um, yeah, also like, I don't know. I feel like I always go through the, the, these life transitions where, you know, something's going on, like, you know, you break up with a girlfriend or you, you move or something. And it's like always a good time to like, you know, recreate yourself and like, just, you know, go, you know, go with it, like embrace the whole change. <laughs> uh, can you repeat the name of the current hairstyle again? Uh, the dreaded Wudan mullet. The dreaded Wudan mullet. It's a lot of hair back there. Does it change mm-hmm. your climbing movement at all? <laughs> Is that I a think factor? so. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Uh, it's actually protected me on several occasions too. Uh, you know, you fall That's back, hilarious. And you, hit the, you fall back and hit your head, and I got this like permanent pillow. Yeah, for sure. There. But yeah, it's it's it is heavy <laughs> and it's super long right now. It's probably down to my waist right now. But um, when I cut it the one time, I was dizzy for several days. Whoa! Because just my whole, you know, center of balance of my head was off. So yeah, it, de- <laughs> it definitely affects something. 
it's offsetting the modern texture neck, you know, like we're all hunched forward looking mm-hmm. at our phones. It's just like this nice counterweight in the back to balance you out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you for all that. That's perfect. Um, I would also love to do a similar thing, but with the different vehicles that you've lived in over the years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm especially interested in the, I think it was the fourth van. Is that the one that you did the digital tour, the, the video tour of? Uh, I think so. It had like the black kind of flames and, uh-huh. and skull. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me just, um, just quickly, maybe can we go through the sure. different vehicles that you've lived in over the years? Sure. Uh, well, my first one was just a car. It was like an old 68 Mercedes. Um, and we just, that was actually my first road trip in 1994. Uh, we took that across the country, me and a friend, and we kind of just camped in tents. Um, but then, yeah, it was always a dream of, uh, you know, getting a van, you know, and definitely like what you're saying about like these Tim Burton, you know, type movies. Like I look back at these movies and like, you know, like the boyfriend had this crazy van and like, you know, Bill and Ted had this like crazy van, you know, like, so back then it was like, when I was a kid, I think I was like, oh, I you know, I need a van. Like that's, that's what I'm going to be, you know, a van guy. Um, so yeah, the first van, Astro van, and I think the first one I painted right away. I was just like, okay, I'm just going to like make some stencils and, you know, it had like a dragon on one side and there was a climber like on a roof on the other side and like a, a Superman emblem on the hood. And it was just like crazy and crazy colorful and, uh, really out there. Uh, second one same kind of thing but then that was yeah this whole darker look and it had just these crazy like black flames that were like turning into like skulls in the negative space of the flames and um (laughs) that one that one was like pretty uh evil looking pretty sick looking and i think there's even a (laughs) shot of it uh if you saw the real rock the the joe's valley piece there's there's a quick clip of of that van yeah we pull up in that van um and (laughs) Those those were all pretty simple on the inside, the interior. Um, and then the next van, it was more low key on the outside. You know, I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't like draw so much attention to myself, especially since I'm like camping illegally a lot of times. You know, where, wherever. Um, so there was nothing on the outside, but then I really pimped out the inside um, and built a kitchen in the back, and you know, water, and you know electricity for charging stuff and um yeah that was that one and then the last one was just kind of the same thing but i got a little bigger i went from the astro to a chevy express van um just a little more space but always kind of the same same deal you know bed you know kitchen all that stuff I remember some <clears throat> some unique features in the back in the kitchen. Can you describe? Uh, I think it was Ooh. your water spigot that was especially interesting. Yeah, there was a little water spigot that was had a baby head kind of face as a dispenser. <laughs> um, I had these like crazy goat <laughs> horns that I I had, and I like cut those into like the handles of the door, and there was like a bone for the shifter. Um, I don't even know what kind of bone it was, but, uh, yeah, it was just this bone for the shifter and I think it had some spikes on like the rear view mirror and stuff like that. 
I was sad to learn that you just sold that one. Yeah, yeah. Is there is there a fifth one coming sure. or? Yeah, hopefully. Um, we're trying to figure it out, but most likely we're just trying to figure out something that'll fit the kids in since I have two mm. kids now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to get to that in a second. I have some questions for you about fatherhood mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> and the kids for showing sure. up. But let's get to uh, how you showed up in Waco. It seems like you've really fallen in love with Waco, the style of climbing and the place. Uh, what was it that resonated with you starting to climb in Waco? And what led to the decision to put down some roots in El Paso and really make that your home? Um, well, you know, I, I definitely heard about it when I was, you know, living in Maryland and climbing in that tiny little home wall, um, watching Masters of Stone. You know, there was always like a Waco section in the video. Uh, Fred Nicole, like just doing, you know, crazy climbing, you know, across Martini Roof. I think that was like one of the first things I saw because, you know, it's pretty interesting, you know, climbing in general. But like when I actually saw him climbing across Martini Roof, it looked impossible, you know, like, Mm. like, dead horizontal roof, like crimps, not jugs, you know, like just fingertips. And that, that really inspired me. I ended up like, you know, making all these crimps on my roof out of like two by fours and stuff like that. And that was just always, you know, one of the destinations. And then I think every, not my, not my first road trip that I went to in 94 out of high school, not that trip, but every trip after that, we'd always make a stop in Waco tanks. And, you know, like I was saying, you know, bouldering really wasn't a thing back then. But in Waco, bouldering was a thing. Mm. And, you know, there was even a guide for it. And it just seemed like, you know, so much more legit. Because I definitely went to, like, the Buttermilks. And there wasn't much information. And we just kind of, like, played around on the boulders. But yeah, in Waco, it was like, okay, like there's like so many climbs, there's like all this like difficulty, there's stuff that you couldn't even touch or like, you know, comprehend touching. Um, And it's just kind of a weird location, you know, like El Paso is like kind of a weird place. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And the fact that this amazing climbing existed out there was also, you know, pretty interesting. And not only, you know, the whole historical aspect of, you know, the people that had lived there for thousands of years and like all these artifacts everywhere and like these crazy like cave paintings, like, you know, it wasn't like going to the new or the gunks where you're like, oh, this is cool. We're outside, you know, like, but you go there, you're like, oh, wow, this is like a temple. This is like a church. Like, this is like, Mm. you know, super sacred to people and you know, we're lucky enough to like be in there, like messing around and, uh, yeah, just, ne- I never stopped coming back, you know, it's like <laughs> such an amazing place. What is it like to live there year round? What do you do in the, the warmer months? Um, it, it's interesting. Cause I was like, you know, I was kind of concerned, you know, I was like, Oh, we'll move there. But then, you know, summer's going to be heinous. And, um, it's like really only, only bad for like a month or so where you're like, okay, this is huh. like a little too hot. Um, like I went out one day in August and it was cloudy and breezy and we put up like eight first ascents. Whoa. And it just like, you know, the random day, um, we just got good conditions and it was awesome. Um, definitely 
harder to send things in the summer, but it's also a great time to like hike around and look for stuff. Like in the season when it's good conditions, like I don't want to be, you know, like hiking and being like, mm. oh, where am I going to go today? Let's just hike around all day. Like definitely try and get that all done in the summer. Um, and actually the climbing's like kind of doable in the summer as you know, where you try to like go to some like Southern sandstone, you know, type of climbing. And if it's like over 70 degrees, you like cannot physically hold onto the holds. Like right. you're just like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is a V6. Uh, and it's like, oh, it's 80 today. You're like, I cannot move. Like it's impossible, <laughs> but um, there's actually holds here and it's usually steep. It's usually in caves. So it's definitely climbable more year round um, than people think. Um, the, lo- the local climbers, there's like a, a great local crew, like they're climbing all year round pretty much. Um, mm. Actually, the only thing that turns me off is like if it happens to rain, which it doesn't rain that much, it, it can get mis- a lot of mosquitoes. Oh, and okay. then you're just like, okay, I don't, I don't want to be out here. It's like kind of heinous. Yeah, I'm sure those Waco, um, those tanks that hold the water, I'm sure yeah, they're just like little for sure. mosquito machines. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Cool. That that's really cool. That's really cool to hear. And it sounds like there's just lifetimes. I mean, I've seen it for myself now, but you look out at West Mountain, East Mountain from north, and it's just like, God, there's so much rock. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Is it still is it yeah. is it harder to find new stuff? Do you feel like there's uh is that slowing down at all, or is there just more stuff than you could ever possibly get to? Um, I'm sure I'm sure it's slowing down a bit. Um I mean, just in like, you know, the last four or five years that I've been down here, you know, I've put up like a bunch of good stuff that's like not only, you know, good and hard stuff, but also stuff that's like fun and accessible, which basically becomes a classic problem, you know, like it's like the problem that all everyone wants to go do because, you know, it's got a flat landing and like it's an awesome rock and and whatever. Um, definitely stuff like that is getting harder to find for sure and a lot of times you know it may take oh just you know you have to hike a bit more um because mm. a lot of the climbing you know is close to ground level or you know you, you go up one slab to get there and that's it but um i don't know it, it, it takes like you know an open mind and like a lot of times you'll go to something and you'll look at it and you'll be like that looks like maybe there's a climb there you know and I've been back several times to things and been like, no, okay, I think there's definitely something here. As whereas before, you would just like be like, oh no, I don't, th- I don't think that goes, you know, type hmm. of thing. Um, and also, like, it's like a lot of work, and I think that's what people don't get is that I don't just walk out there and be like, oh, let, this looks fun, let's do this, you know, <laughs> and like chalk it up and do it, you know, uh, you know, cleaning it or like, you know, just like kind of just like prepping it like a lot of times that puts people off because they can't just throw their shoes on and and do it you know Mm. like maybe the top maybe the top's dirty or top sandy or something you know like you need to get up there with a rope and like clean it out uh i think a lot of times like people are like oh this looks awesome but i just would rather go climbing you know right and you know put the time in to prep it um so there's that aspect of it too but um I don't know. I have lists. I have lists of things. I think I was telling you, I have panic attacks because I think about these <laughs> lists and and what I should do and you know what I should be climbing. It's like 
sometimes you get distracted. You're like, oh, we'll just go mess around on some of these things. And then I look back into the list and I'm like, no, I should be doing like the top thing on the list. Like that's mm-hmm. like the most badass thing, you know, like that's, that's what I should be getting done. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. There's like so much to do. It's like overwhelming. Is that why you had kids to hedge your bets in case you can't finish yeah. the list? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just pass it on to them. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I would love sure. to, I'd love to dig into that. So when you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, uh, you had just gotten back from Joe's Valley, I think, and I asked you how your climbing mm-hmm. trip was, and you're you're like, I wouldn't call it a climbing trip. <laughs> yeah, that was that was life's a, a little fa- different now. Yeah, that was more of a family trip, um, but I think also it's because uh, my son, he's so young, he's like eight months old, mm-hmm. and my daughter, she's gonna be three in like another two months, so um, she's totally fine and she loves climbing and we had some like nice days out where she was like oh i want to climb dad and you know we'd set up some little boulder or whatever but yeah like babies are like so tough and like so exhausting and yeah like once you get past like a year and a half you're kind of out of that Mm. that area but like it it's so tough like you know you, you have plans for things and like, oh, yeah, we'll just go do this, this, and this. And then you end up warming up and, like, the day's done because, like, <laughs> one kid's, like, freaking out or something. Right. But, uh, yeah, and and just being on a road trip makes it, you know, that much harder. You know, we kind of have it – we have it figured out down here in Waco how we can, like, climb with kids or, like, mm. take them sometimes, sometimes not. Um, totally fine. But, yeah, like, going on a full-on road trip where you're, like, trying to climb every day, it's, like, really hard. Yeah. If you're open to it, I'd love to just ask you, did that feel like a hard decision? Uh, did you always know that you wanted to have kids? I mean, I mean, that's obviously for a professional climber, that's a major impact on your lifestyle. Um, a lot of professionals that I've followed for a long time that are in their 30s now or, you know, they're starting to make that decision. But um, yeah, I, I'm always just really curious about that. Did that feel like a hard decision to you? Um. No, I mean, I never, I never wanted to have kids, you know, okay. I like, I like grew up around my father's friends who were like, don't get married. You're going to ruin your life. You know, like <laughs> whose like wife is just like nagging him all the time. And you're like, oh my God, like, like maybe, yeah, maybe I won't ever get married, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I kind of, you know, grew up with that being kind of afraid of, you know, you know, living this kind of weird stagnant life, Mm. you know, with wife, family and all that. Um, Yeah. But then at some point, you know, I don't don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know if it was like really a conscious decision. I mean, we definitely like talked about it. Like we, they weren't accidents or anything like that. Like we were like, okay, you know, like maybe it's time to have a kid. And uh, I don't know. Looking back on it, like, I was definitely like, okay, I'm not like a hundred percent psyched because I know how hard it's going to be. Like that, that was more the issue. Like I'm going to lose this like kind of lifestyle, which is a hundred percent like selfish, you know, which is kind of like climbers in general. Like we're super selfish and like focused on what we're doing and, and our training and, you know, our goals. Um, so that, that was definitely hard, but at the same time, um, I mean, it's, you know, you can work around that, you know, that's not like, that's not the end all you have kids, your life's not over or whatever. 
like my my father's friend told me. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think at, at one point, you know, I was like, you know, I'm on this earth and this is like kind of one of the things that you can experience, you know, to have a child of your own. Um, it's amazing. Like it's, you know, pretty much a miracle. Like I don't understand how it works. Like it's like getting on a plane. You're like, how is this thing staying up in the air? You know, it's like, uh, how, how is this baby going to come out of you? You know, it's like so insane. Um, and if I had to have the baby, I would not be having a baby like, ever. So, uh, yeah. it was easier, you know, the fact that my wife was wanting to have the baby, it was like, okay, like, you know, I think we can, you know, make this work. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Hmm. What have been some of the bigger surprises? Have, have you been surprised at parts that are even harder than you thought or parts that are so much better than you imagined or, um, you know, anything like that? What has surprised you so far with the experience of having kids? Um, I mean, I guess it's always, you know, always better than you can imagine. Cause you can't really, you know, imagine love or, you know, imagine the love that you would feel for, you know, you know, your own child. Um, so, so that's amazing. You know, like I was out shaping the other day and, uh, I have this little shed in the backyard where I shape and my daughter, Ava, she comes up, she's like, da 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 da, like she got a carrot out of the garden, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, that's like so sweet. Like, you know, I would probably just be like in here for hours, like staring at a piece of foam, like, you know, depressing myself. Um, so yeah, that, that's awesome. And, uh, I mean, difficulty wise, uh, you know, just, you're always, you know, you you never have that time to yourself where, you know, I would always just have this time to myself where I would just sit at my computer and try to create things or like just chill out or, or whatever, you know, it's like whenever I have free time now, I need to like take advantage of it, be more focused, you know, there's not that much time to slack off. That's the hard, the hard part for sure. Um, a good surprise, which was um, my son started sleeping through the night five months in so he was like pretty young and he was like sleeping through the night which was awesome because i don't know my my wife also works nights sometimes so i'd be with the kids at night and day and then if he's not sleeping through the night i'm not sleeping through the night and it just makes everything more heinous and and so that was awesome like at that point i I was like okay this is gonna be really tough and we got to five months he started sleeping through the night i was like okay i can like you know, manage a, a little better. Cause I don't think my daughter started sleeping through the night till she was like eight months or more or something like that. Hmm. It's exhausting. Um, I find that like, I'm like an uh, early person, like I get up early. And so like, I find that sometimes I'll get up at like four thirty or five and I'll look at the clock and I'll be like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to get up now and like have my morning, you know, like, you know, do some work on the computer, do some editing, you know, do some stuff like that. Other than, you know, being awoken by the kids at like 630 and you're like, okay, I got to go right now. Like focus them, like, uh, try to find ways to like still get my own, own time. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. What about as far as your climbing, how has it affected your climbing? I mean, your professional, uh, you still have this list of goals that you want to achieve, has that been a big factor? I know you have a home wall where you can train. I'd be curious to hear 
how it's impacted your climbing and, and how you've adjusted. And then maybe another uh, thing to attach to that is whether or not you have any recommendations for people who are considering having kids or new parents that still want to climb that want to at least maintain their mm -hmm. level. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, kind of the same thing, like you need to be a little more focused, you know, you don't have time to waste. Like you're not going to go out climbing and be like, Oh, I don't know what I want to try today. You know, like you're gonna be like, okay, today's my day. I want to go to my project. I'm going to, you know, like you're like super focused. And I think you even think about it more when you're not there because you're like, okay, Thursday, Thursday, I'm going to go. Like I'm going to try and send on Thursday, you know, like you like put so much more thought and effort into it because you don't have days to waste. Mm. Um, that's, that's probably the biggest thing. Um, and because I'm kind of like goal oriented and I like am focusing on first ascents and I have a lot of things I want to do each season, I probably lost, you know, hanging out with friends and going on those random days where you just go climbing you know, like I get a free day and I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to go to my project. You know, I don't want to go. I'm sorry. I don't want to go hang out and just mess around all day and not really be focused. Like I kind of like, I'm really like goal oriented and I'm like, I'm going to this and you know, any free chance I have, I'm like going to try and go until I get it done. Um, and me and my wife both climb. So it's kind of nice. And we were kind of like switching days. So like, you know, one day she would stay home with the kids and then I would go climbing and then, you know, I would, I would stay home with the kids. Um, everything got messed up with COVID because, mm. you know, my daughter was in daycare and that was awesome and everything was going really smooth, smoothly with that. And then she got out, we'd take, take her out of daycare and it was just like this whole nother, you know, it was like, okay, now how do we make this work, you know? It's like, I don't have, I don't have family here, um, like a lot mm. of people. So I can't just like give the kids to my mother or something like that. Um, so that, that was definitely hard. Um, but yeah, I just was really focused on what I wanted to do and uh, ended up surprisingly having one of the better seasons I've had in a while. Um, <laughs> and di nice. did a bunch of awesome first ascents that I had wanted to do for a while now, so... That's such an interesting and surprising story. I feel like I've heard that so many times where someone had all these constraints, usually because they became a, a new parent and just it forced them to focus. And then they had, you know, a big jump in their climbing or an amazing season or sent their project or whatever mm -hmm. else. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's like the same too, you know, because I, I live here and I'm not on a road trip to Waco. It's really easy to just be like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, go mess around today. I don't need mm. to like, you know, it's not, you know, like, oh, I got a week left on my trip. I got to send, you know. Right. Um, so when you live in an area, it's like, you know, really easy to fall into that. Oh, I don't have to do anything today or, you know, like I can come back another day or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, just that extra push of something is a little helpful sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Getting to some of the things you accomplished this season. Can you tell me about your cargo nets? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> this blew my mind and I got to see a little clip from a video that you made that I don't think you've put out yet. And I'm like, oh my God, I need one of these. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, my wife got it for me for Father's Day. 
uh, last year. And, uh, you know, I'd seen some footage. There was some footage of some guys in Moab climbing some stuff, or I think in Little Cottonwood, they had set up kind of like more of like a trapeze type net. Like, um, I've, I've seen that. And then I was telling you up at the Pruder, Pruder Canyon back in the day, Cameron Cross had strung up this like homemade net to like do this bouldering first ascent. And then nowadays these guys just, just repeated it and they were using this new net technology. Uh, and it's this cargo net and it's like tested to like so many thousand pounds, and you can get all different kind of sizes. Mine's like the 10 by 12 or something. But yeah, basically uh, you can string this net up where, you know, the landings are, are horrible or maybe you're on the edge of a cliff or a lot of times you, you'll just be like next to this like huge crevasse, you know, where like the boulder's like hanging above it and you're like, okay, it's kind of safe. But like if you ever were to fall, in that direction, you would like, you know, get seriously messed up. So I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is like the perfect situation for Waco because, you know, how many times do you look at a rock and you're like, oh, that looks so amazing. And then you look at the ground and you're like, okay, no, never, like that's (laughs) never going to happen. Like ever, you know, you're just like, oh, that's like instant death. Um, so this is like an awesome way around it. Um, I even found like, you know, instead of like taking a bunch of people and hauling a bunch of pads out, you know, I could try the same thing. I would string the net up and I would have like two to three pads or whatever I could carry. And you could, you could try the same thing and, you know, it would just wouldn't be as, as, uh, dangerous. Yeah. That really stood out to me Um, watching you use it. Like you just don't need that many crash pads. You're already being cushioned by falling into this net. So you really just need to like have a slider pad or something like that. Yeah. It depends on how the setup is, but yeah, for, for instance, that the first climb in the video, which was in this dark cave, it's like, you know, it's kind of like this pit that you would fall into with like a rock down there. That's like sloping in the wrong direction. And I always looked at the wall and I was like, you know, this wall looks amazing, you know, but you'd have to like haul so many pads in here to make it like doable or safe. And then I took the net out there and that was like the first time I used it. And I I did that, that ascent on the same day. Like I went out there, set the net up, worked the problem and sent it, you know, like all within (laughs) one session. And uh, part of me was like, you know, this kind of feels like it's almost too safe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if that's possible <laughs> um just took because the, i, I like i like some danger you know yeah yeah i, I like some day i like some danger like i've always like like that aspect and like with the net it was like zero danger like zero hmm. like you would just fall into this net um so that was kind of interesting funny or whatever but um in other circumstances like there's this there's one highball face i think it's the second climb in the video but uh it's just a highball face and the landing's really narrow like you could hit the landing and fall off and then it gets really bad uh so i just strung it out you know so if by chance i would fall off of there the net would catch me um and like for instance that that one i feel like i could now knowing the the fall zone i would could go back and do it without the net Mm. um with a spotter. Um, I didn't do it in the video because I, same kind of thing. I went out there, set up the net, and I was like, okay, 
like I don't have a spotter, but I really want to do this. And uh, just, you know, okay, I'm not going to die. Like <laughs> I, I got kids at home, you know, people are like, oh, aren't you going to like, are you going to be more safe now that you're having kids, you know, because I kind of have, you know, this dangerous reputation. Yeah. Uh, and they were, they were asking me like that when my wife was pregnant with the first kid. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get all my like dangerous ones in before the kid comes out, you know, like, <laughs> joking, jokingly. Uh, but, um, no, it's interesting because, you know, it's just another form of protection, you know, it, it almost feels like a mix of trad climbing and bouldering because, you know, you're setting it up, you're rigging it. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. Uh, and then the, the last climb in the video was that gigantic, like hanging roof it's like i don't know some 25 move roof that just like this huge block is hanging there and uh you know i went there and looked at it and i was like okay this is awesome but like you would never be able to like protect it and with the net it like totally protects it um Mm. and it's crazy too because you almost need to go and re-evaluate what's possible you know now with this because a lot of times you just, you know, you, you cross it off. You're like, no, that's not going to happen. So I need, I need to get back out there and go <laughs> to some of the same places that I've looked at and kind of canceled um, and see what's, what is accessible now with the net. Um, it's, it's awesome though. There's going to be this whole wave in the future of first ascent with net, first ascent without net. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I was wondering I mean, you know, if it goes into a guidebook or whatever, you know, yeah. like this, was first, this was first done with the net, you know, or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Can you explain or describe how you rig the net? Like some examples of, of different rigging sure, uh, practices sure. you've used? Um, yeah. Well, it's pretty simple. Um, I usually just tie off the four corners and... Uh, it's all like, you know, made with webbing that has all these like anchor points around the outside. And this is this is also another interesting point in, you know, cleaning and whatever. But like I have never once in my entire climbing career ever used a piece of gear, like any gear, like a stopper, a cam, anything like this. I've never once had to ever use anything. Um, there's always <laughs> something to tie off to, like even if you have to like tie off the whole boulder. Like huh. there's always something to tie off to, or sometimes you like can like you know wrap it around the, the hook of the top of the boulder or or whatever. Like I've never used any kind of gear to like tie anything off, so I'm doing it all with just static line, um, static line, and I'll find like a boulder to tie off or or whatever. But then so I have the four static lines coming in, and then I have. I had three grigris, but you could probably get away with doing just two grigris. You know, you could mm. do the, the diagonal corners tight, and then you could adjust with the two grigris on the other. But um, basically, you know, I kind of figured out my rigging, and I would just take enough static cord each time to set, you know, the same setup every time. So, like the big roof climb, I, I went out there a lot of days, probably like, I don't know, 15 to 20 days on that roof. So every time I just kind of had the same setup, I just go tie my same anchors and then, you know, it would take me like 20, 25 minutes to set up the net and everything. Okay. So if I, I want to make sure I'm imagining this correctly. So you have four different pieces of static line. 
one for each corner yeah four different how long are they you could it depends like sometimes like the anchor was like right next to the edge so like this piece was like 10 foot long um i ended up just getting a bunch of different static lining cutting just a bunch of different lengths um so i didn't have to drag like the whole you know the whole rope out there every single time Mm-hmm. Um, you, you could get away with, you know, just taking one rope out there and like kind of just rigging it around as you go, mm. um, and just tying it off, but it's pretty simple. And then the Greek is really easy to tighten it. Um, and then I just, you know, I, I tie, tie everything off, you know, like I tie the Grieger off so it's not going to slide open or anything like that. So, okay. So you're, you attach the Grieger to the corners and then you're just like hauling yeah, on, cinch, you're just cinch it cinching up. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then tie a knot. Yeah. Yeah, and then huh. sometimes it'll stretch. It'll stretch a bit as you go, and so you, you can just tighten it up a little more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so fun. Like it's, it's it like looks almost so like, fun. It's crazy. Yeah, just like I want to just go so I can set up the net and like you know try some moves on an yeah. untouched piece of rock that you couldn't try without the net. And yeah, it's super fun. It's a different it's like aspect. Com- it's like this combination of like a trampoline and an outdoor cool unique hammock setup and then bouldering mm-hmm. all, all in one. Yeah. <laughs> um, totally, when totally. when do you think that video will be available for people not to put um, you on the spot i mean any any day now really basically okay. i have that video and, and i have one other video uh before that one uh yeah so i have two new videos that i haven't released and i'll probably release the the next one which doesn't have nets it's just some normal climbs from last season but i'll probably try to do that this week and then hopefully like in a week or so do that one i'm like the worst with instagram and posting and like (laughs) i i hate it like i hate it like i always have some kind of like trauma like you know (laughs) i get everything figured out and i write this great thing and then somehow it gets deleted or it locks up or something it takes me like two hours to do a post usually like i i I hate it so i just put it off and then a lot of times i have like so much content i just never post it i'm just like okay (laughs) it's too much that's so interesting i mean real quickly i'll say for people that that by the time this publishes that video will very likely be released and i will link to it so you can go watch it right now nice yeah uh, this, this sure. is probably at least a month out so yeah i'm sure it'll be out by then yeah but, uh, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, but if you don't mind i i would love to ask about the social media thing um i remember you saying that you were actually a really early adopter and it's interesting to hear your perspective on how this whole thing is shifted and how you think of it now um yeah it's it's strange like you know what a professional climber was when i started climbing versus what a professional climber is now i mean i'm sure i guess there's you know different names for it too like influencers and stuff like that um but yeah it's like very number oriented and i'm not talking about grades as far as v14 and stuff like that but like how many followers you have Mm -hmm. you know how many likes and how many comments you're getting on your post and like i don't know it seems i mean they're they're getting what they want out of it you know especially the companies too because they have a direct like this is what we're getting like there's you know 40 people that commented on this post and like so many thousand liked it like they can see Instead of, you know, oh, this guy climbs hard and he's out there in the middle of nowhere doing nothing, doesn't talk to anyone. <laughs> um, 
so I understand that aspect of it. And there was always that fine line of, you know, being a professional climber and, you know, doing something that was good and not just, you know, out there, you know, getting your own and, you know, like, be like, oh, look at me. I'm a badass. I climb hard. Like, you should respect me or whatever. There's definitely that fine line of, you know, you know, doing clinics or, you know, meeting people out on the road or, you know, doing slideshows and stuff like that, where you're like, you know, you're, you're kind of changing people's perspective a, a bit. And I think that was kind of what I was doing. Um, and I, I kind of had a blog back then or in a website. And um, yeah, I think I was saying how, you know, a lot of my stuff is more refined, like I work on it, and then I release it kind of like back in the day, you know, the dosage would release, you know, they worked on it all year and, you know, they would release the dosage and then you would, you would watch that movie like over and over and over again. Like that's what you would watch that year or whatever. Um, but nowadays it's like, so instant. It's like, well, what did this person do this week or this day? And, um, yeah, it's kind of strange and it kind of scares me because I'm not, Hmm. I don't want to be that open to what I'm doing and I don't (laughs) want people yeah, I don't want people out in my business and like, oh, like, what are you working on? What are you working on? Like, mm. uh, that's my business. Like, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's so strange. I mean, I'm trying to keep my foot in the door. And at the same time, I kind of like to, to poke fun at it a little, you know, like... I don't know. Everyone's so serious and like everyone's so outspoken and all this stuff. And it, I mean at the end of the day we're just climbing and trying to have a good time so it's yeah it's interesting yeah i i miss those days a little bit (laughs) i mean i haven't Mm -hmm. been yeah yeah i don't know i was that kid i was you know i couldn't wait to see what the next dosage was going to be or the next real rock and i i have all those videos and i've watched them so many times but Mm -hmm. i find myself doing that less and less because we're all just awash in content all the time and it's this strange thing because now there's so many people making such high quality media. There's so many great climbing films and whatever else, so many great stories being shared. But it's it's fascinating to me that you can watch this really, really incredibly well done video. Maybe it's 20 minutes or an hour and it's free on YouTube. And you're like, man, I'm psyched. I'm inspired. That was incredible. And then you can forget about it. Like it just you know, you watch it and then mm-hmm. a few weeks later you forget where you even stumbled into it and you never watch it again. And yeah, that part of it's kind of a bummer. I, I miss those days of, of yeah. really getting to know uh, those films and all the characters. Yeah, every, it's just, yeah, there's just so much going on. And, you know, like back in the day, like when I was doing a lot of indoor climbing, I was like, no one's ever going to watch want to watch anyone climbing indoors you know <laughs> like <laughs> this is just this this is pretty much just us training messing around uh i didn't think there would be a place for like you know oh post your climb you did at the gym you know like that seems so strange to me because it's like so temporary and like but that's the thing like this whole instagram world is temporary and it's like it's so overwhelming to me because, you know, when I got into climbing, I I wanted to be a climber because it wasn't so mainstream, because it wasn't so popular. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had to do research 
to find out what climbing was. You had to do research to like, you know, meet this guy who he's this older guy, he's older guy and he's going to take you on a uh, try climbing trip. You know, it wasn't like, oh, everyone does it. It's here. Look at your phone and you just get like, you know, just nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. Um, yeah, it's like kind of a turnoff for me, actually. I'm like, uh, I'm more of the guy who gets inspired by seeing things that, you know, I don't like or, you know, I don't want to be like a normal person. So I want to be a climber. I want to live in a van, you know. And I'm like, oh, everyone's living in a van. Like, is that really that interesting anymore? I don't know. <laughs> it's it's strange. Yeah. It, it is funny. I, I started climbing. A lot of my early climbing was in Leavenworth, Washington. And it's so wild to think back on how much has changed just in the last decade or so. I've been climbing for like 12 mm -hmm. or 13 years. And I remember driving up Icicle Road. And if if there was a car parked at one of the bouldering areas where I had a project, like let's say I had tried to climb and I couldn't figure out all the beta. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I had a bunch of these all over the place. If there was a car that had like, you know, outdoorsy Patagonia or whatever bumper stickers, like, oh, that's a climber's car. I would pull mm -hmm. over and park and run up the trail just in case they were trying the thing that I was trying to see if they had beta. <laughs> like that was oh nice. That was the world that we lived in. You nice. know, I was like, oh man, I, <laughs> you're trying this. You know, you nice. see someone trying a thing and you run up there and you say hello and introduce yourself and like, did you figure out this move? Like, oh, that's so cool. I'm gonna go get my shoes and I'll be right back with some pads. But yeah, yeah nowadays, now all the just, beta is on your phone. Yeah, just stream it from the boulder. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's overwhelming, especially like, you know, going back to Joe's, like just being more crowded and yeah, it's like a, definitely a different scene. Um, and that's, that's fine. I mean, it, it is what it is, but like what it was back in the day, you know, is, is not, not gone, but like you can still find that. And I think that's, what's awesome about climbing is that you can, you know, you can be a gym climber, you could be on an outdoor trip with like 10 people, or you could just be yourself out in the middle of the woods with the rock and that's it. Um, mm. And that's, that's still there. And I think that's, I think that's why I'll never stop climbing because, you know, I'm, I'm aware of why I climb and what I want to climb. And just because climbing has turned into something else, you know, doesn't mean that that's what I have to do. So Cool. Yeah, you're holding it down. <laughs> That's awesome. To. I want to get to uh, <laughs> I want to get to some listener questions. I have a few people that submitted questions for you. Oh, nice. The first one's from Logan. He is curious, what was the most difficult part of dropping everything to hit the road for climbing in an effort to make a name for yourself? Hmm. I mean, I guess you would say that you know, the whole money aspect, but like, I don't know, like I didn't have a lot of money, you know, and, you know, a lot of times I was on the road and I, I didn't have, you know, I didn't know where my next paycheck was coming, you know, stuff like that. But I was like, okay, well, whatever, I'm still going to stay focused to my goal. Um, a lot of times, like I had sponsors that had, you know, money come in my way, but for some reason it was held up, you know, there was always something. <laughs> And, uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people could like, you know, see that and be like, okay, no, this doesn't work. And, you know, stress, like you're going to be stressed because you don't have money. Like, I think, um, that's super stressful for some people, but, um, I don't know. I never, I never really kind of like, 
I never really was too stressed about it. You know, I was like, didn't have money. I was just like, okay, this is just how it is. Like, I'm going to bust my ass and, you know, I'm going to get there someday. You know, it's like, whereas a lot of people would be like, okay, like, oh, I don't have any money. Like, I don't have a nice couch. Like, I don't have this, you know, um, this is, I'm, I can't do this. You know, it's like not possible because it's not comfortable for me or whatever. But I think just, you know, making all those sacrifices, like, you know, you're living in the dirt, whatever you're dumpster diving or, you know, that type of stuff. It's like, I don't know. It's like you're focused on your goal. Like none of that really matters, you know, in the end. Um, but it'd be just as easy to stop, you know, and be like, okay, this mm. is like too scary. Like this is mm-hmm. too scary. I got to stop. Um, I need some kind of comfort in my life or whatever. But um, yeah, I think that was, that was the hardest thing for me. Um, but yeah, at the same time I was like, okay, this is just, you know, how it is. Like, <laughs> like I'm a dirt bag. <laughs> Did you have any strange, odd jobs or or any go-tos that you would do to make a few bucks to continue living on the road? Um, not not when I was on the road. Um, I definitely always I had, I had tons of odd jobs growing up. Like I was like a landscaper, a roofer, all this like heinous stuff. Um, and then that was kind of like when I was like taking shorter road trips. And then I kept trying to like figure out how I can make the road trip last longer. You know, I would like come back and I was starting to set at that point at the first earth tracks in Columbia, Maryland. And uh, like, I kind of always, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, if you come back, you can, you can set, you know, so I could always come back and set if I was like, you know, totally strapped, you know? Um, But kind of you know that was when I got into more you know like graphic design work stuff I could do from my computer um shaping holds like that was like totally you know like how I spent a lot of my time and you know for pusher originally and then I got involved with so ill uh in southern Illinois um I was kind of always doing something that was climbing related you know Mm. because like I want to do some graphic design, but I don't want to, you know, I want to do it for a climbing company, you know, or, you know, I don't want to just work just to work. You know, I was really trying to like incorporate climbing into like every aspect of what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I've got a question from Will. He says, and we've, we've already touched on this, but um, I'd love to hear if you have any additional thoughts on it. Will writes, I'd love to, to ask Jason how his climbing in the Northeast influenced his future climbing. I'm from the Northeast and there's plenty of climbs that he's made the first ascent of that I know of. The Northeast has a very interesting style to it and it would be super cool to know if his, if this influenced his climbing moving forward. Yeah, I think a little bit because, you know, back then, you know, all the magazines or whatever were just pumping out like, you know, California and Colorado and the West and, you know, and uh, it was kind of like, you know, you wanted to prove yourself or you want to show the world you're like look there's like awesome stuff out here too in the northeast or or wherever you know it's like there, there's pretty much good climbing everywhere um it's kind of kind of good that the sport is like kind of endless you know it's like you're never going to run out of good climbing so yeah that that was definitely an aspect where i was like you know wanting to do things and show people things and, and share 
you know, what we were doing on the Northeast. And, you know, there was definitely like the whole bouldering movement that kind of started with the gunks, um, the original bouldering in the gunks video, which Josh Lowell produced with like OB and Ivan and all those guys. That was kind of like, kind of the start of it all. And like, you know, rampage and stuff after that. But, um, yeah, it was like, you know, there was so much amazing climbing that, you know, you kind of just wanted to share it with everyone. And I think, you know, seeing that stuff that was out there back in the day, you know, like the Masters of Stone and stuff like that. It's kind of like we want to create our own, you know, Masters of Stone or, you know, these amazing climbs and, you know, inspire people to come and check those out. So I think there was definitely like some influence there to like to get noticed and to do some cool stuff. Yeah. Do you feel that way about Waco now? Um, yeah, I mean, I do, but Waco is like such, Waco is like a legend on its own, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, it, trying to add to that is, is, is hard. You know, it's like Waco's like has so much history and, but uh, yeah, I'm just trying to like chip away at it. Um, you know, just like get stuff done get stuff done. You know, there's like so much to get done, um, while I can, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to have to step over to the, the sport climbing side just yet. I'm like, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, you should go sport climbing. My wife's like, oh, let's go sport climbing. I'm like, no, no. Like, I just want to boulder. Like, once you stop, you never go back. Everyone's all these old sport climbers or whatever. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like true to the boulder. I'm like, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting older. So it's like, how much longer can I like shred my skin, shred my tendons, like land on these bones? You know, it's like, can't, you can't do that forever. It's like hard on the body. So, <laughs> you know, I try to do it as much as possible, but, um, yeah, Waco is just, you know, if, yeah, if you can add anything, you know, anyone who's ever done a first ascent in Waco, it's like a gift, you know, it's like, mm such a magical place and you know if you're able to do that it's like so amazing this is a question from nick he's curious do you ever go back and repeat any of your more dangerous fa's uh have you ever gone back and repeated anything to feel your sense of progress or mastery or are you know are some of them just one and done climbs that you did and mm. don't feel like you need to go back to yeah, no way. No way. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, magician only does his trick once. That's that's the bottom line. Okay, like I feel like I escaped something. You know, you're like, oh, I almost got hit by that truck. I'm not going to go try and get hit by the truck again and see if I can like get out of it. Um, no, I'm I'm not that type of climber. Like I don't even like doing things that I just you know like some random climbs in Waco. Like I don't like repeating stuff ever like hmm. i'm even at my home wall like i go huh. have a session on my home wall i i don't ever remember any problem from session to session ever oh like, that's never. so interesting no it's it's more about the creativity of coming up with a new problem and it's outside it's more about finding new rock and being like oh is this move possible like and just like that whole thought process of like you know, discovering something or understanding something like I, I'm not like a jock at all when it comes to climbing. I'm not going out trying to do fitness laps on something. 
like it's more about like the whole creative process and like the mental process and like the meditative process like yeah I, i'm like total opposite of like the jock climber like i don't see myself like that at all mm. well yeah it's so cool there's so many ways to take this climbing thing and it's so neat that everyone seems to you know take take their connection to climbing and every professional climber anyway and and make their whole lifestyle fit that and you've certainly done that you know this creativity and you've brought that into the your whole shaping and now you're creating climbing gyms and it seems like um you've you've managed to design a life where that is this common thread through the whole thing and it's, yeah it's inspiring it's really cool to see thanks it's been a long road <laughs> since yeah ni 92 or, or so um yeah i i just knew there was something about it when i first you know discovered it or heard it i was like oh, this, that's that's totally me you know that's like that's what i want to do hmm. well jason i've just got one last question and this is one that i ask all my guests what is something that you've been feeling especially grateful for lately I mean, everything really <laughs> like, uh, I guess, I mean, health is, you know, most important, but, um, grateful. Wow. I mean, I'm grateful of everything, you know, my kids, my family, having a house to live in. Um, yeah, it's like pretty, it's been pretty tough, you know, with like the whole pandemic and all that stuff and like everyone's all stressed out and everything. But, um, I mean, I'm just grateful that I, you know, stuck with climbing to make it this far where I am today in my whole situation of life, you know, with kids, wife, you know, all that stuff. Like, and that I'm still climbing, you know, I think there's a lot of people that fall in love with climbing for one aspect of it. And when they, they can't do that anymore, say they're not as fit as they'd like to be, or they're not winning competitions or whatever, they kind of just stop climbing. Um, and yeah, I think I would, I would love to climb for the rest of my life and that would be awesome. And so I think that would be, you know, be very grateful that you can still love something and understand it and, you know, not be stressed out about it or try and hold on to something that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I find that climbing, you know, does that for me and hopefully I'll be able to continue that and always be grateful for climbing that, you know, I have access to it. Well, awesome, man. Thanks for doing this. I really, I really enjoyed connecting with you and chatting and uh, yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I, I love all your videos. I'm excited that you're still making them. And I like that, you know, while everyone else is doing these quick iPhone videos and just uploading them the same day that you send, you're still holding on to that and making us all wait with anticipation for months and months for, yeah. your, for your videos to come out. Yeah. And uh, they're always really fun to see. So, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. I like <laughs> to do something different. And I also like not to like give the beta so quickly, you know, like <laughs> I, I put a lot of time, a lot of times I'm, you know, not finding the right beta or I'm doing something wrong, you know, and I do a first ascent. I don't want to post me doing the first ascent and then some guy's going to go out the next day and do it. Like I want them to know about it, be like, Oh, I want to go check that out. And they go check it out. I want them to have some kind of experience. Mm. Like I had like something, like I hate spoon feeding, you know, beta and 
it's like, okay, well, that's like, that's one of the whole reasons why I like doing first ascents. And after that happens, it's gone, you know, that's gone. So um, I like to keep it a little more mysterious and, and, you know, leave that option for people to have the same experience. Well, thanks again, man. Yeah. Any Anything else you sure. want to share before I let you go? Anything we didn't cover? Mm, no, I mean, there, there's so much to talk about, really. Like, you know, we could we could talk about holds the whole time or we could talk about <laughs> travel the whole time or right. we could talk about whatever the whole time. <laughs> but no, I think, that would, I think we kind of hit on a little everything, especially like, you know, in the beginning and, you know, Maryland and the whole karate thing was cool because I don't, I don't think I talk about that you know, a lot. Yeah. I think that was new to me when we talked the other day. I was, um, yeah. yeah, I'm glad you were. It makes total sense. You know, I've definitely had like breakthroughs in my climbing where, you know, I thought I was falling and that last surge of energy, like, you know, I think that that came through, but yeah. Cool. Um, what can I link to you? I'll link to your Instagram, your YouTube channel. Is there anything else? Um, that's it. I can send you some specific links if you want to some of those videos that we talked about. Okay. Um, like the ones with the rope you're saying. And uh, yeah, um, I mean, that's pretty much it nowadays. Like I have a website, but it's it's like there's nothing going on. It's just a website. Like no one really uses websites that much. But, <laughs> um, I need to update it actually. My wife's like, oh, you should update it with all your like gym design stuff and, and whatever. Um but yeah, I, I could I could send you some of the better links, or if I can remember what we talked about, um, or if you have anything that we talked about and you're like, oh, I can't, can't find that video, I can send I can send you the link to those. Perfect. Yeah, I, I'll follow up with you too. I'd I'd love to get some photos to use for the podcast for for Instagram. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And whatever else. I, I got a shot of that fake mustache too. Yes, dude. That that's the kind about. of stuff I want. Like the different haircuts over the posted. years, the vans. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. sweet. Sweet. Nice. So, yeah. Awesome. I'll, I'll follow up with you. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later then. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks again. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Hey friends, this is Steven again, obviously. Just wanted to give you a few updates. The net bouldering video that Jason talked about is now available on YouTube. He just published it, and it is called Jason Kale's World of Illusions, Episode 8, Waco's Web. And I will link to it in the show notes over at thenuggetclimbing.com. There is also a link to the video of him tearing his shirt off at the climbing competition and the video of him doing the first ascent of count to six and die in Waco and a bunch of other great stuff. So be sure to check those out. I'll be sharing a lot of amazing photos from Jason on my Instagram this week as well at The Nugget Climbing. So be sure to hit that follow button for the podcast account over on Instagram if you haven't already. And I just want to quickly remind you about a few things I'm excited about. The first is the top lists page on the website. If you're new to the podcast and want an easier way to find some of the best episodes of the podcast so far in the categories that you are most interested in, that is where you should go. That is exactly why I built the top list page. 
And it's a really helpful tool for finding awesome episodes. You can navigate by looking under the episodes tab at the top of the website and you should see top lists. Also, I want to welcome you to join the new Facebook group. It is called the Nugget Climbing Community and we would love to have you join us over there. I've got some really fun stuff coming soon for that. And finally, if you are loving the show and would like to help out, I would be honored to have your support. You can click on the support the podcast button at the top of the website. Again, that is thenuggetclimbing.com. There are a couple of options for one-time donations, and you can also support the podcast monthly for $5 per month on Patreon and get access to a bunch of bonus episodes. There are about 20 of those published so far and a new one with Ron Kauk coming soon. So look out for that. Hopefully I can get it done this week. If not, then next week for sure. It's a long one, so you won't want to miss it. It was super good. And that's it, friends. Thank you for listening and for all the love. Be safe and enjoy yourselves out there climbing. And we'll see you next time. Like we do it.